0: Kia ora, good morning. I'm Philip Atali with a special edition of Insight. In the next hour, we'll be reviewing the results of the local elections and looking at the future of local government. Sunday mornings with Chris Laidlaw will be here after the 9 o'clock news.
1: There's so much work yet to do, and we ask Aucklanders for their patience and tolerance as we continue to go through these changes uh, and also their engagement uh, as we work together to build a great city. So I'm very, very proud and humbled. Uh, To continue on as the Mayor for Auckland, I love this place. I love this city. With a passion. Thank you.
0: Len Brown is back for a second term as Auckland's mayor, easily defeating businessman John Polino by almost 50,000 votes. In Wellington, Dunedin and Hamilton, incumbents Celia Wade-Brown, Dave Cull and Julie Hardacre were all re-elected. But the voters have brought about significant change at many council tables around the country. In Christchurch, the former MP Leanne Dalzell comfortably beat businessman Paul Lonsdale in the mayoral race, with nine of the 13 councillors being newcomers. But the winds of change have toppled mayors in many parts of the country. Among those defeated are the Far North Mayor, Wayne Brown, the Rotorua Mayor, Kevin Withers, the Nelson Mayor, Aldo Michio, the Masterton Mayor, Gary Daniel, the New Plymouth Mayor, Harry Dunhoven, the Kapiti Coast Mayor, Jenny Rowan, and Wairoa Mayor, Les Probit. There are several new women mayors, as well as Leanne Dalzell, there are Steve Chadwick and Rotorua, Rachel Reese in Nelson, Jam Barnes in Matamata Piakou, Lynn Patterson in Masterton, and Cheryl Mai in Whanganui. The Auckland Mayor Lem Brown and his supporters celebrated his win at a bar in the inner city suburb of Kingsland. On the streets outside the venue, most of those spoken to by Radio New Zealand were accepting, if not hugely enthusiastic, about the win.
2: I voted for Lem Brown. My brother and a few of my friends know him, so he's a nice guy, and he's reliable, and he's got a good plan for the future, I think. We need probably him
3: again to keep up the momentum that he's already, you know, the good momentum that he's already achieved. I don't think I
4: voted for him. I was ready for a bit of a change, but I think, you know, it was a hard decision. I think
3: he's been doing well.
5: Not a huge fan. Really not happy with the industry plan uh, and the way he's pushing it through.
3: Glenn Brown was the best of a bad bunch, really, I'm afraid. But he's, he's OK.
0: The businessman, John Polino, came second with Libertarian Stephen Berry third and campaigner Jenny Bright fourth, leaving the Party candidate, John Minto, in a distant fifth place. I asked Lem Brown if the low 35% turnout would raise questions about his mandate.
1: I'm very comfortable with the mandate that I have. For a start, being the first mayor of a united Auckland was a Huge challenge, and so much to put in place in terms of statutory requirements under the Super City law, you know, vision plan, unitary plan, amalgamating rates, amalgamating all of the rules and bylaws. So it was a major, major job. I did something to annoy everyone just about every second week, quite frankly. It was that, you know, challenging. But in the end, the mandate that I've been given uh, with a very strong level of support, I'm really, really humbled and appreciative of the opportunity of carrying through in a second term.
0: The 35% turnout, it's not great, though, and it, it could be a protest vote.
1: Oh, look, you could look at it either way. You could also say that there is a high level of satisfaction and, and reasonable comfort with the direction going forward. I think there are some wider issues about how we deal with local government voting, and, and my view is the, the first thing to do would be to dump postal voting. I think it's had its time. And then secondly, give people an option around online voting.
0: If we're looking back over the campaign, those running against you raised debt a number of times as an issue that it had risen a considerable amount over the term that you've been in office. Is this something that you're going to need to look to for the upcoming term?
1: Uh, I think that there are a number of issues that were raised which were as a consequence, I think, of us being required to pull the city together and to set it on a pathway. And uh, the issue of, of our balance sheet of Issues relating to debt, of of rates management, of employment numbers and how much we're paying people in employment, the salary of the chief executive officer, all of those issues were issues where people were expressing a concern. And it's going to take us a while to really bed this structure down. And, of course, the budget's a key part of that.
0: Auckland, of course, transport, always big on the agenda. There are big questions still looming about funding. Are these going to be resolved soon? Are you going to press forward with solutions? Are the people going to have another say about how all these big transport proposals are going to be funded in the future?
1: Oh, look, look, absolutely. And on one hand, Aucklanders are concerned about the debt levels that the Council has. On the other hand, they want us to spend strongly to address the issue of infrastructure deficit. For decades, Auckland's basically wallowed and has always used the excuse, look, we don't have enough money. Well, we know we've got to do this. And one of the reasons why they have re-elected me as the mayor is because they know I'm fully focused on getting the, the type of change to transport. But so people are going to have a say so, in the how you fund it. Yes, absolutely they will. And, um, you know, one of the other pieces of significant feedback through the campaign was how we better engage the community under this new, new super city structure. The local boards are important in that, but it's my role as the mayor and responsibility under the legislation to ensure that we have high level of communication with the community and I have to say that I've got to pull my socks up on that front.
0: And of course the other big issue facing Auckland is of course housing. Is there going to be debate in your next term about what assets council should be putting forward to try and contribute towards solving this huge problem?
1: Yeah look I think that I most certainly am not in the camp where we should be building houses as council. What we can do though is utilise some of the land that we have for example our 68 housing for the elderly villagers right across Auckland where we can utilise that land supply in partnership with some others for them to build on our land and then open up greater stock.
0: And the council you have, you're confident as a council that is going to work together?
1: Oh yeah, look, um, in the last council I said to them leave your politics at the door and let's work as a team and by and large we did. I'll be looking for exactly the same commitment from the councillors, these six new councillors and I'm expecting them to come in with a positive attitude to be a part of a team and to work for the people of Auckland to the benefit of the people of Auckland.
0: The Mayor of Auckland Lynn Brown.
3: People of Wellington, people of this beautiful world, friends, good evening. I've been re elected as Mayor of Wellington.
0: In Wellington, incumbent Mayor Celia Wade-Brown comfortably beat her main challenger, long-serving councillor and former test cricketer John Morrison. She's with us in the studio now. Good morning, congratulations.
3: Good morning, thank you, and it's a beautiful day in the capital.
0: Look, during your campaign, some people said that under your term, Wellington had actually lost its spark. Do you need to do something
3: to rekindle that? Wellington's got so many great strengths that we need to promote it more. Um, I think, unfortunately, some people in the campaign attack Wellington rather than attacking other candidates' policies.
0: And you talk about new platforms that you're, or new plans that you're going to be announcing. Is it going to be something different than you were talking about in your campaign?
3: Well, there's a continuity in terms of affordable housing and in terms of better public transport. We've actually got to get those cycle lanes off the drawing board and onto the tarmac. But there are a couple of new projects that are coming up for in, in the areas of a conference centre and a new museum. But I'm going to wait for the details uh, to announce the details until we're absolutely signed off
0: relationship with central government. If you're talking about big plans, presumably you're also going to be talking to central government. That was another area where people had something to say about how you operated, how well you worked with central government. Are you going to change attitudes for this next term?
3: I think it was quite interesting that the Prime Minister, um, it wasn't widely reported, but on I think one of the radio stations confirmed that he met me as often as he met Len Brown, and that we had a reasonable relationship. I think we do need to be more strategic with the major ministries, and I I look forward to working with the new council to make sure that we have um, alignment where we can but I'm not afraid to disagree where I disagree with central government.
0: And when you talk about working with the council it's a very new council isn't it you've got six new councillors three green councillors how are you looking at that how do you feel it's going to work?
3: Well I think they're all very enthusiastic the new councillors I think it's going to be a terrific team where everybody wants to do their best for Wellington. So I'm going to make sure that everyone has got a role. Both the existing councillors, there's a fair amount of knowledge there, and the new ones.
0: You had some points where there were arguments where things weren't moving and there were lots of discussions, things like the flyover around the Basin Reserve. Are these sorts of things going to get
3: resolved anytime soon? Well, transport is always a contentious issue in the capital. The flyover itself is now with the Board of Inquiry. Um, I think there are far more... In- positive and interesting transport things that we can be getting on with and I think there is a clearer majority for a more sustainable future in Wellington. Um, We're also all pretty keen on making sure that there is um, a drop in unemployment as well there has been a job growth but that um, sector of youth from 17 to 24 there's quite a concern about the high level of unemployment there so we're going to be working with um, tertiary schools police and employers to address that. Thank you very much for
0: that. That's the Wellington Mayor, Celia Wade-Brown. Christchurch has voted for a change with a new mayor and a majority of new councillors, nine out of 13. Belinda McCammon spent the day talking to Cantabrians about what they want the city's new mayor and council to do. Bill Cotton lives in the suburb of Redcliffs. It and the surrounding
4: hills suffered significant damage in the February 22nd earthquake. He says where he lives, the rates are quite high, and residents aren't getting value for money.
6: Christchurch East generally ought to be more of a priority than it appears to have been. I mean uh, I can remember eighteen months ago uh, some roads in in uh, the northwest that were hardly damaged at all by the earthquake were being resurfaced, and our roads were, were still like a rubbish dump.
4: Another Redcliffs resident, Jackie, who didn't want his surname used says everyone hopes the new council will be more open to the ideas
7: from the public. We feel very neglected out here, especially with our roads. We do feel McCormick's Bay Road should have been fixed up much better than what it was before the causeway was put out of action. We feel we're still waiting for our house to be fixed. Quite a few people are that we know. Are
4: you living in your house at the moment? Yes, we are,
7: but it's falling apart around us.
4: Jackie says the opening of a 6.5-kilometre coastal pathway has been great for the community, giving people a much-needed ray of hope. But it's been hard for people here with the loss of so many community facilities.
7: I feel bad because A, I use a library a lot and I have to travel long distances for a library. B, I have to travel long distances for a supermarket. And see, I have to travel long distances for swimming. Now, these are all activities that I, I do every week. And you've lost all of these yes, facilities since the Yes, yes, yes.
4: It's a bumpy ride along pothole-riddled roads, flanked with orange cones, to see South Brighton resident Deirdre McGowan. She says South Brighton has lost many businesses since the earthquakes, leaving residents uncertain about the future of their community. Help, really? We need some help. And to look at some corporates to come in and actually say, we want to invest in this area, we see the potential, and for the city councillors to get in behind us and let this really happen, because to date, they haven't. Deidre McGowan says she wants clarity around what the council intends to do with South Brighton. If this becomes a, an area that's not supported with development, and not allowed to grow and, and rapidly, then... The ramifications will be, is this mean that's the beginning of a managed retreat? Back in the centre of town, workers and tourists are wandering through New Regent Street, a historic shopping area that was open to much fanfare this year. At one of the stores, Mrs Higgins Cookies, co-owner Penny Smart says delays with consents meant her business didn't open till six weeks after the street's official opening. The council wanted to get st- everyone in the street open at the same time, but... When the street opened, four shops were open. Everyone else was still waiting for consents or other or they may have had other issues as well. She says the council needs to listen to the people and to help small businesses, especially in the inner city. A lot of businesses are struggling because the people aren't here. You know, it's a big risk for people to to set up their businesses in this in these areas without without much of a cbd next door cafe owner liz feland opened her business earlier this year she says she hopes the council encourages people especially young people with big ideas but who have small
3: means i see a lot of you know larger commercial operations popping up all over the place but there doesn't seem to be a sort of foot up for really grassroots projects
4: The new council, led by Mayor Leanne Dalzell, will have a dramatically different look when they meet for the first time this week with nine new councillors. Of the eight sitting councillors who stood again, only four were returned. From Christchurch for Insight,
0: Belinda McCammon. The new mayor of Christchurch, Leanne Dalzell, says she wants to hit the ground running on Monday.
8: There was a sense that the council was asleep at the wheel in a whole lot of ways. But certainly I think what has happened now is that we've been given this mandate to make significant change and it will be great for the city.
0: Also the council was known for fighting. You have all these new councillors. It's a challenge for you to actually lead them forward as a group and take the city forward.
8: No, look I looked at the list of names and I just think it's going to be great. We've got four of the previous councillors returning to the council table and we've got new ones as well. So it's going to be a great blend. There are people that are going to be sitting around that table who would never have put their name forward except that they want to make a change for Christchurch.
0: Obviously, the whole rebuild is an enormous project and it can't be rushed, but there is a lot of frustration about housing, either getting the rebuild done. We hear a lot about the cost of housing now. We hear from businesses and communities about saying we're still not getting businesses back in. It's a long time. Things are just not moving fast enough.
8: Yes, and... There's always got to be a balance. I've got this um, expression that I use, which is take your time as quickly as you can. It is really important to engage people in the process of the recovery itself. And a lot of people have felt completely left out. So when decisions are being made and then announced on an unsuspecting public, that's over. We are now going to have a much more collaborative approach.
0: Of course, you've just come from central government. You have the knowledge of it. On the other hand, you've been on the opposite side of the house to the Minister for Earthquake Recovery. Can you work with Mr
8: Brownlee? Absolutely not a problem. In fact, I've already had a conversation with him yesterday, and I'll be talking to him again on Monday. I intend to make early contact with various ministers. And they're happy to work with you? Absolutely. And that was the wonderful thing about the conversation that I had with the minister yesterday. He's already thinking, you know, down the track about how we can work together. I'm very, very positive about what we're going to be able to achieve for Christchurch.
0: The incoming mayor of Christchurch, Leanne Dalzell. Anti-fluoride campaigners are promising to continue the fight against fluoridation in Hamilton. The Hamilton City Council decided in July to stop fluoridating the water, but then decided to put it to a referendum. The result yesterday came back overwhelmingly in favour of fluoride. 70% of those who voted in Hamilton want it back. Mary Byrne from the Fluoride Action Network says they're disappointed not to win, but not surprised.
9: We didn't really expect to win, considering how much money the DHB and the New Zealand Dental Association put behind this. You know, we really thought it would be difficult because there's been such a big PR campaign by the district health boards that unless people really do their research, uh, it would be much easier for people to, to sort of just follow along that the
0: party line if you know what i mean The Waikato District Health Board spent $47,000 on a pro fluoride campaign the medical officer of health is Felicity Dumble
9: Unfortunately there was a lot of misinformation that was being circulated about community water fluoridation and so it's really good that people have listened to the the dentists and the doctors who are the vast majority supporting this and how it benefits teeth and is safe.
0: Our Waikato reporter Andrew McRae joins us now. Andrew, will the referendum be binding on the new council? Do you think they'll follow what seems to be the will of the people?
2: Well, uh, Philip, common sense is uh, the council will uh, follow the, that result uh, with such a high mar- margin. It can't be ignored. Now the DHB says new council will ignore it at its peril. Basically, uh, the mayor Julie Hardaker voted to stop fluoride, but yesterday she told me she'll follow the wish of the majority. But of course, she's just one of uh, one vote among thirteen on council. There are six new councillors and six returning. Of the six that are back, five uh, voted to remove fluoride back in July, and only one supported it. And, and now, to be fair, three others on the council at the time, who were also DHB members, uh, weren't allowed to vote. Of the six new councillors, difficult to say what their position will be, although I know one of them has indicated support for whatever the result of the referendum was going to be.
0: So was that whole referendum a major election issue?
2: Not really, although it was certainly an issue in the city, just not a campaign issue. There was an outcry when fluoride was stopped, health workers were up in arms and the anti-fluoridation group, they were certainly active and vocal. But it never seemed to take off as a campaign issue for the mayoralty or council. I think because it was such a hot topic, uh, candidates were happy to stay away from it whenever possible. We had a referendum on the issue back in 2006 and the result was the same. Now the DHB says it will be on to the council uh, first thing tomorrow morning, asking about the process to reinstate fluoride. And the mayor says it will be on the agenda for the first meeting of, of the new council.
0: Thanks for that, Andrew. And Hastings and Whakatane communities voted overwhelmingly to keep fluoride in their local water supplies. Dunedin's re-elected Mayor Dave Cull easily held off his eight challenges, gaining 12,000 more votes than his nearest rival, former Act MP Hilary Culvert. But the election has changed half of the city's councillors and brought a number of high-profile people with strong agendas to the table. Our Otago reporter Ian Telfer joins us from Dunedin. Ian, what is Dave Cull planning now?
10: Philippa, Dave Cull's first term had him bogged down in financial issues. So there was the new new stadium's finances, unsustainable debts, large rate rises and struggling dividend companies. And Mr Cull last night described these as landmines in the road. And he says what local government should be about is making the community's visions become reality. So he's focused on the future now and he says he wants properly to work on the future instead of all those landmines. Now that they're under control... We can get on and frame the future and start
1: implementing some of the strategies and visions that we've also been working with in the last term, you know, for the, the revitalisation of the centre of Dunedin, the economic development strategy, uh, an energy strategy within that. All of these things are crystallising the vision of the community.
10: Now what the community has actually said is they want Mr Cull and the council to work on creating jobs. And Mr Cull's is well aware of that, but he says jobs is about economic strategy, And that's a very long-term project, and so he's warning already that you can't turn an economy around in a weekend when the whole world economy is struggling.
0: Well, with so many new councillors, how much will the mayor be in control of the council's direction?
10: That's a big question. Uh, It'll be interesting to see how he goes about that. There's a whole new dynamic now at the council table to manage. There are seven new councillors out of the 14, and there are many experienced people coming in. They've got a lot of good connections, but they've also come with their own strong agendas and quite a wide range of viewpoints. So new councillors include a Green councillor and student radio breakfast host, Aaron Hawkins, a David Benson-Pope, who's a former Labour minister. The strongest showing was from a former MP and Dunedin property owner, Hillary Calvert, and she believes voters have put her in for better management and more transparency.
7: They very much want some accountability. I think that was a strong message and that they're concerned about the finances. And they clearly weren't totally happy with the financial direction that the current councillors were or I wouldn't have been so highly polling.
10: So, Philippa, the mayor's real challenge now is to satisfy the doubters about the state of the council's finances and and put that to bed uh, once and for all, but also to lift the gaze of the council to its strategic planning for what he
11: wants in Dunedin's future.
0: Thanks for that, Ian. It's 29 minutes to nine and time for the news headlines with Stuart Keith.
11: Good morning. Len Brown is beginning a second term as Auckland Mayor. He was returned with a 50,000-vote margin over the centre-right challenger John Polino. Mr Brown told Insight he will be keeping a close eye on how the books are managed in his next term. He says debt has been a concern for most Aucklanders, and he says there will be much closer management over the next three years. Wellington's incumbent Mayor Celia Wade-Brown has also been returned, as has Dunedin's Dave Cull and Hamilton's Julie Hardacre, while in Christchurch the former Labour MP Leanne Dalzell won with a big majority. Tim Shadbolt is to begin a seventh term as Mayor of Invercargill, second only to Sir Barry Curtis, who completed seven terms as Mayor of Manukau. The big losers in this year's local elections are Wayne Brown, Mayor of the Far North District Council, Aldo Michio in Nelson, Harry Dinehoven in New Plymouth, and Jenny Rowan in Carpetty. To other news now, the death toll from the sinking of a vessel carrying asylum seekers to Italy has risen to 34. Maltese and Italian coastguards rescued another 200 from the water after the boat went down south of the Italian island of Lampedusa. Most of those on board were Syrians and Palestinians. And a powerful cyclone with wind gusts of about 200 kilometers an hour has struck India's east coast. More than half a million people were evacuated before Cyclone Pailin hit the land. The BBC is reporting that the land lying in the wake of the cyclone is a scene of utter devastation. And that's the news.
0: Thank you, Stuart. I'm Philippa Tolly with a special edition of Insight. Returning now to Auckland City, where Len Brown has been re-elected. Our Auckland correspondent, Todd Nile, is with us now. Todd, looking outside the mayoral election, is there much change in the overall political flavour, shall we say, of the council?
5: No, I, that's the way I read it, there hasn't been a significant shift either to the left or the right. One of the things that's happened uh, in the dead of night, there was a contest out west in the Faux Ward uh, where the sitting councillor Nolan Raffles uh, yesterday evening was leading that one narrowly. The updated results that came through at min- midnight have that seat now in the hands of Labour's Ross Close. So that's one seat that's gone sort of centre to the left, if you like. There are a couple that have uh, that have gone to centre right candidates, but I think overall um, you can't pigeonhole, even if you do the numbers it's hard to see a swing, but what we've seen in the first term of the Auckland Council is that it is not like Parliament it's not a centre right and a centre left block voting against each other, the votes are quite different depending on the issues, and even at times we've seen the, the right and the left voting against the centre, so it, it's a much more subtle mix of things that go on around the council table than, you know, you you might see in Parliament.
0: Thank you for that, Todd. That was Todd Nile, our Auckland correspondent. The council elections in Whangarei drew big crowds to public meetings to hear candidates debate issues like council debt, jobless youth and the proposed 100 Vasa Art Gallery. Lewis Williams talked to some well-known citizens about what they
7: are hoping for from the new mayor and council. Barry Trass has been in the building business in Whangarei for more than 30 years. His company used to build 120 houses a year. Since the recession, it's dropped to about 50. He says it could be more if it weren't for the council and its development levies, $20,000 for the average
10: section. We have some of the highest in the country for an area that's low value area and um, high unemployment and a, a region that's not really producing like it should. Development contributions are definitely um, stopping development up here and stifling growth. So that's one of the things we'd like the council to review.
7: Barry Trass also heads the business lobby group known as Wedge, the Whangare Economic Development Group. Wedge promotes the Hundutrasa Art Gallery and it's positive that's just what the town needs. But the community's divided over the merits of the $13 million project. Colin Edwards, a local investor and council watcher, fears it'll be an everlasting drain on the public purse. He says the council's budgeting has proved overly optimistic in other areas, such as counting on income of $20 million from proposed land sales, which then fell over. Mr Edwards says he'd like the new council to budget more prudently and to review the high rents it charges the owners of commercial buildings on council leasehold land.
6: Of recent uh, times they've got, I would think, fairly greedy. Um, it's not a level playing field and they've just put the rent, ground rents up and up and up whereas for a lot of building owners their tenants' rents are going actually down. So they're really being squeezed.
7: But a recurring theme during the Whangalei elections is a sense that the council's out of touch with the community and its hopes and fears. In a blistering editorial in The Northern Advocate this week, editor Craig Cooper told how his 15-year-old daughter, who has cerebral palsy, was attacked by another girl in the middle of town in a random act of violence. For too long, he says the council's been courting developers and pursuing dreams of tourism fame while ignoring ongoing problems such as angry, violent kids who make Whangaree's streets unsafe.
12: It's not the council's fault that this happened, but the council has a leadership role, an elected leadership role, to govern this town, and I think that they have been quite poor in dealing with social issues, and uh, I think that we should put as much time into those issues as we do into promoting uh, the fantastic things about the town, and uh, wining and dining property developers and the like.
7: Carol Peters, who runs the 155 Community Centre, says the new council needs to back the many people in Whangarei who are trying to help its lost young people.
3: They don't need to lead, they do need to listen. The council doesn't have to do all of the things that happen in Whangarei, but they do need to be work out what is happening and who can actually progress issues and get in behind them
7: many locals would like to see a turnaround and a perceived lack of openness and accountability on the part of the council. For Insight, Lois Williams.
0: Well, Lois is with us now to talk about the changes in her area. Uh, where in Whangarei, there's a new mayor elected. Are the changes in your area a real sea change?
7: Philippa, I think it is significant that um, both the new mayors that we have have campaigned on that need to listen to the communities to respect them. A lot of people have been complaining about the arrogance of councils and staff in recent years and about, you know, perceived uh, deals done behind closed doors. So, in both the far north and in Whangarei, people have chosen mayors who have promised to be uh, more open and more responsive.
0: So, who is Cheryl May and how much is, was her winner's surprise in Whangarei?
7: Well, Cheryl's um, a woman in her early 50s. She was a councillor in Whangarei for two terms. She also worked for the council at one point and uh, she resigned to travel for a year and now she's come back. So she does have um, council experience, but she's a fresh face. She's a good public speaker. She presents uh, really well, so I guess it's not a huge surprise that she's won. But I think what is a surprise, perhaps, is what's happened to some of the other prominent mayoral candidates in this race. Warwick Syres, for instance, who was the council's finance chairman, and he only came in fifth. Now, he may have been harmed by that controversy about the sacked um, council worker. Well, remember, the, the council's chief executive let one of assistants, his um, um, executive assistant, work on Mr Sire's mayoral campaign, but he sacked his PA for nominating another candidate, Stan Seminoff. And Mr Seminoff, who wasn't making a very good showing at some of those early meetings, actually came in third.
0: So what is Cheryl Mai promising as mayor?
7: She's promising a a culture change at the council, she says, starting from the top Um, The first thing she says she wants to do is move the Mayor's office down to the front of the council buildings where the old cafe was so that people can find her Uh, She wants to cap the debt level at $150 million, $10 million less than what it is now and she's promising to resolve this never-ending argument that we've been having up here in uh, in Whangarei about building the the Hundefasa Art Gallery
4: my position on Hundabasa is I believe the project does have merit but clearly the community is still divided over it despite all of the efforts that have been made by local media and the community to debate the issues which has been fantastic and that's the style that I will certainly continue to do is to have open debate with the community rather than um, making you know, decisions unilateral
0: decisions in the chamber. And in the far north, former National MP John Carter swept into office and defeated the incumbent Wayne Brown. What's he promising?
7: He's saying he's hoping to use all his old parliamentary skills and connections to help uh, improve things in the far north. He's talking about getting young people working the way the Mayor of Ōtelohonga has done, and he's saying he's going to forge stronger connections uh, with the community.
1: I think this is an issue right across New Zealand, not in local government, not just in the far north, but engaging with the public more than what we normally do I think and that's going out to the grassroots and talking with the communities and uh, listening to their needs and wishes.
0: The new Far North Mayor, John Carter, ending that report from Lois Williams. Dr Andy Asquith is the Director of Public Management Group at Massey University in Auckland and a specialist in local government, and he's joining us now from Auckland. Good morning.
13: Good morning. How are you doing?
0: Good, thank you. Well, look, looking overall, it seems like there's been quite a turnover, or, or is it not? Is there a lot of change from these local government elections?
13: I think there's been quite a large turnover, and, uh, uh, and that... Um, I think throws up some issues that we haven't really sort of touched upon this morning as well. Such the, as? The, obviously the biggest issue that we have is this, is this problem of low turnout and um, 35% in Auckland for instance that's just it's worrying to say the least and, and for for Len Brown to say as he did in an interview earlier on that the low turnout reflected satisfaction in his first term um, I think he's stretching credibility a little bit.
0: What can be done about this learned turnout? Lots of people have talked about online voting and maybe returning to the ballot box. Is it a question of changing voting, or does something else need to be done, or are people just really not interested?
13: It's a very complex uh, issue, uh, and unfortunately this week, so many people have focused on the idea of e-voting as being the solution. Yes,
0: And do you think it's a solution to do it online or is something else needed?
13: I think online voting will actually be be a field experiment because what we need to do is get people connected with their councils again and e-voting will give us a virtual relationship with our councils and it will take people one step further away from actually having a physical connection with their local bodies.
0: That's a big ask, isn't it? How do you get people connected again with their councils? Is it the people's fault for not being connected, or do the council, councillors themselves need to do more?
13: Oh, well, without a doubt, it, the blame lies with councils and councillors. Councillors need to be out there, they need to be visible, they need to be seen. A problem that we have in New Zealand is, is that councillors and candidates for council, they appear once every three years during election time, and then they vanish again.
0: Do you think they think the job is just to go to meetings rather than be out and about?
13: That's what it it seems to be turning into, and that ignores one of the two fundamental roles of councillors, which is to be our voice.
0: There also have been points made about the leaders in, in Auckland and Wellington and Christchurch and Dunedin all being left-leaning. Is there any significance to that, or is it just something that has happened that there's an alignment between the, the four centres all at the same time?
13: I wouldn't read anything into that. If you look at what happened in New Plymouth, the left-leaning mayor there you know, was well and truly trounced. Um, certainly in terms of Wellington and in Auckland, the incumbent was there, and they seem to have done a fairly decent job or not done a bad job.
0: So in another three years' time, what are your feelings? Is there going to be a greater engagement? Do people take a message from this turnout they need to do more? Or is it going to be a trend that we're just going to have a a lower and lower involvement in local government elections?
13: I don't want to be a doom-monger, but I think if local bodies don't get their act together and we have e-voting, for instance, in three years' time and turnout is even lower, then I think national government will decide they have to step in to do something about the problem of connection between local bodies and citizens. So local bodies need to be out there, they need to be engaging with people. Of key importance is the engagement with young people. E-voting has been touted as a means of connecting with young people. But we need to have a physical connection there, so we need to have councillors in schools, in universities. Um, it's quite frightening that many people at university don't think that they should vote in local body elections because they're only there for three years. So we need to get that connection firmly established, and we need to build on it.
0: All right. Thank you very much for those thoughts. That was Andy Asquith, the Director of Public Management Group at Massey University in Auckland. The makeup of the Hawke's Bay Regional Council remains uncertain with one key result to be decided on special votes. In the Hastings constituency, incumbent regional councillor Kevin Rose is a leading is leading candidate Tom Belford by just 16 votes. Our Hawke's Bay reporter Peter Fowler joins us now. Peter, has Tom Belford conceded defeat?
12: No, not yet, Philippa. Um, the big issue this council has to consider is the $600 million Rua Tanawha Water Storage Project, and Mr Belford's been one of the leading critics. He's one of four candidates promoted by the Growers' Action Group, whose stated aim was to get rid of incumbent councillors and push for what they call sensible water management. The other three councillors, supported by Growers' Action Group, Rex Graham, Rick Barker and Peter Bevan, have all been elected, and Mr Belford says he's not ready to concede defeat.
1: 16 or 17 votes is... is pretty uh, uh, minor, so I would think that uh, we need to hear uh, more about the special votes and uh, late arriving votes and see where that takes us, so no concession from me.
12: The Regional Council Returning Officer Carol Gilbertson says the number of special votes and late votes yet to be counted is likely to be in the hundreds, so the outcome um, won't be known until Wednesday. So the make-up of the council and how much influence the faction supported by the Growers' Action Group has won't really be known until then, Philippa.
0: And Napier, there's a new mayor there.
12: Yes, Councillor Bill Dalton uh, takes the place of Barbara Arnott, who retired this year. Mr Dalton says he plans to continue the sound financial management of the city that he inherited from the previous council.
5: You know, very impressive. All the incumbents have been returned, which is great, which means we've got experience back. Um, and we've got some exciting new people on the council as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed with the council we've been delivered.
12: Bill Dalton says he believes a strong anti-local government amalgamation stance helped him win the Merrill Philippa.
0: Thank you very much for that. That was Peter Fowler, Hawke's Bay reporter. Six new women mayors have been elected, with many beating male incumbents to take the top job. Steve Chadwick was elected in Rotorua by a substantial margin over the incumbent, Kevin Winters. And Lynn Patterson also beat an incumbent to take the Masterton mayoralty. And they're both with us now. Good morning. Good
14: morning, Philippa. Good morning,
0: Philippa. Uh, Steve Chadwick, if I could start with you, what was it you think that made the community support you?
9: I think in regional politics, things are quite different from the big centres. They like personalities, and I was known. I'd been an MP, and people also knew that I got things done. Pretty practical person. I don't think at all it was because I was a woman. I know women supported me, but it was more the history of, of the record of achievements um, in the past, and uh, I love connecting with the community. So it's more personality, I believe, than and um, the issues that I stood for, they were incredibly important, uh, but that's the reason why I
14: got there.
0: And Lynn Patterson, what about you? What was it, do you think, that, that clinched the victory for you?
14: I think, Philippa, I've been a councillor for, uh, for six years, and I've been a fairly a hard-working councillor. I've also chaired the Wairarapa Governance Review Working Party, which is the... Combined working party across the three Wodonga councils and uh, re local government, uh, government government reform. So I I was seen to be somebody that was credible, somebody that had, had the skills to get on and get the job and, and to progress mastered And so I think uh, the, the combination of those those skills and the hard work that I've put on. I I also enjoy meeting people and I, I just get out into the community and work alongside a lot of community organisations and I think they thought, believed it was a, a time for a change. Our incumbent Mayor uh, has served our community well over as many years on council and last six years as Mayor but I felt that people thought there was time for a change and saw me as the uh, best alternative for that.
0: You've obviously got a very strong track record but do you think your gender played any part at all?
14: No, not, not really. I'm a bit like Stevie in that um, regard. I think women have a strong place in, in local government and, and rightly so and we do need to be represented around the table. But at the end of the day, voters will make a choice on who they think can best represent uh, their, their community and uh, for the people of Macedon, they uh, they've put their faith in me.
0: So it's more of a coincidence that there are eight women mayors at the moment.
9: I think it is actually Philippa, but also we 've got the nerve now to stand. We feel that we can stand on our own right. Uh, we know how to connect with the community that 's where I think women are wonderful networkers and uh, on our own record, but we also are great at building a team. I had an incredible team, and we spent nine months so nine months was a long time to campaign. We weren't cute about waiting till nominations were called for. I went out there hard and built a very strong team around me and they represented the people that had asked me to stand for mayor, so it was across a very broad political spectrum too, and I have to tell you I loved that after central government
0: Uh, Lynne Patterson, how do you feel though it will help the mayors as a collective work together, the fact that there are an increased number of women
14: I think women women are good supporters of women, I agree with, um, but I agree with TV in the sense that it is about building team and, and those networks and I think as women we recognise the importance of importance of those um, but I think we also recognise the importance of building relationships with all other, all other players, regardless of gender. So I think for women it is about building a team and, and putting, making sure those networks are in place because we value the importance of uh, that those relationships are to our individual communities.
0: All right, thank you for both of you and congratulations. That was Steve Chadwick, who was elected Mayor of Rotorua, and Lynn Patterson, who's a new Mayor in Masterton. Well, Tim Sherbolt is about to start his ninth term as mayor, having been re-elected in Invercargill for the seventh time, and he joins us now. So, Mr Sherbolt, what makes you want to hang on in there?
6: Well, I find local government is one of the most exciting areas of life. You're, you've got no boss, you've got to use your own initiative, there's no job description, so you've got to decide what your priorities will be and how you'll go about achieving them. It's a very unique position, and, of course, I'm honoured to be in it during
0: the election run up around the country, there have been several uh, candidates who have spoken about a need for a limit on terms. You know, the American president can only stand for two terms. You've obviously been there for some time. What do you think about that idea that there should be some limit?
6: Well, um, I obviously would disagree with that. I'm the longest-serving mayor in the history of New Zealand in terms of cities. Uh, But there have been mayors of small boroughs that have been there for 30, 35 years. One of our councillors has been in office for 36 years, and he's doing a sterling job. So I think it just depends on how healthy and fit you are and how enthusiastic you are about the job.
0: You obviously have got a great perspective on local government. Do you think it's in good heart? You know, we have these issues with turnout and it seems to be a lack of involvement, perhaps a a lack of connectedness. How do you feel about local government overall?
6: Well, it's it was one of the most important areas of life in terms of our day-to-day factors that impact on us. But it's um, I think overall the voting patterns, we've always had to look at how to change it. We brought in postal voting and that created a surge for a while, but it kind of wore off eventually and now of course the talk is about bringing in internet voting and I'm sure that'll give the um, levels a boost but if you look around the world it's always been fairly modest 40-50 percent in most countries.
0: Do councillors need to be getting more involved with their communities?
6: Yes, they do, but uh, they're pretty involved. I mean, the gender thing you were discussing, for example, that I find there's a lot of movement in that area. Um, when I arrived in Invercargill, both my fellow mayors in Gore and Southland District were women, and in fact, Frana Cardno was the longest-serving woman mayor in the history of New Zealand. So we like breaking those sort of records, and this year it's going to be all men, all male mayors. Um, but I think they do have... A good connection. Any mayor that's doing their job knows what's going on in their community and the issues confront you like the TY smelter or closing schools or funding for SIT or closure of neurology departments. You're always fighting battles on behalf of your community.
0: You're clearly very enthusiastic still about your role. Thank you for joining us. That was Tim Shadbolt who has been elected for his ninth term as mayor. It's not just local councils, though, that voters have been choosing. District health boards around the country have been up for election too. The Health Minister, Tony Ryle, urged people to stand, saying they would help run organisations bigger than Sky TV or Auckland International Airport. Some health boards have budgets of over a billion dollars and even the smallest has a budget over 120 million. Professor Jackie Cunningham is the director of the Health Services Research Centre at Victoria University. I asked her how much real authority DHBs have in deciding health priorities for their area.
15: The district health boards are responsible to the Minister. The first set of things they actually have to do is implement the key priorities of the central government. And so if they're wanting to do things that they don't have responsibility for, where central government actually makes the legislation or sets payment rules or whatever, then DHB boards actually aren't going to be able to do those things, uh, that the government would make those decisions.
0: So if somebody says, I'm particularly interested in looking after the, the young people in the community or the elderly, really, they can't necessarily do much about it.
15: They can do some things. Uh, so the, the DHB boards will have some discretion about where they put some of their resources. So it may well be if, if a DHB board member believes that in their local community there's a huge lack of services for young people, then they can talk about that at the, at the board itself and push hard for that. But I think they do have to realise that many of the priorities are set by central government, but also they have to be working in the interests of the whole community as well. Uh,
0: With the results coming in now, one of the things that is happening is that there are a number of boards where people have stood on, say, a city council, a regional council, and also on a health board. Does this mean people are adopting local government as a profession, or is it good that people are on more than one board?
15: It, It does look like people are adopting local government as a profession, and on the one hand, I think you then hopefully get people with a lot more experience over time, and they know what they're getting themselves into as well. On the other hand, it actually potentially reduces the voices of a wider group of people in the community. Uh, so, I, so I think we need to be careful that peop- there aren't too many people that are, are doubling up on too many roles. For the
0: cynical, it does look a bit like a double dipping.
15: It, it does, I agree. It, it looks like people are actually you know, it, becoming that professional role um, and earning reasonable sums of money as a result of actually doing that and potentially keeping other community voices off those board tables.
0: That's Professor Jackie Cumming of Victoria University. And that's our special Insight on the local government elections. You can hear our interviews again by going to the Radio New Zealand website. Chris Laidlaw will be back with the rest of his Sunday morning programme after the 9 o'clock news. And next week on Insight, we'll be looking at the burden of strengthening earthquake-prone buildings. But for now, from me, Philip Tolley, and the Insight team, thanks for listening.
3: Good evening. I've been re-elected as Mayor of Wellington. I think people in Hamilton
0: knew what the issues really were, despite what was being run in the press. We've got some real work to do in Nelson. We're looking at projected rate rises that are um, well over 5%. About
2: time something
5: got done, people are getting sick of stuff What's happening here, especially in Christchurch, It's just ridiculous. People look at it and go, it's not going to make any difference.
1: Really. So it's empathy as much as anything else. All our youngsters, all our under 40s, they're on their phones. They want to vote online. They don't even know what it is to post an envelope. I want to uh, just acknowledge the people of Auckland and acknowledge to them my real deep humility and appreciation for being.
13: I love this city with a passion.
10: Thank you.